0: The sermon you are about to hear was given at Pillar Bible Fellowship in Hood River, Oregon. Pillar Bible Fellowship exists to glorify God by knowing Christ more fully and making Christ more fully known. Email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org. You can find more information about Pillar Bible Fellowship online at www.pillarhoodriver.org. Please enjoy the podcast. Join with me in prayer once more as we ask God's blessing on the preaching of his word this morning. Father, we do ask once again as we come before you, your words are life. And I pray that they would be life to us today, that they would not fall on deaf ears, on blind hearts or blind eyes or hard hearts but that your words would break through. Holy Spirit, that you would work through your word, that we would be enthusiastic about your word, even when it opens up, even when it cuts, even when it reveals those areas where we need to change, where we have been wrong. Lord, I pray that your word would be like balm to us where we are hurting, that grace and mercy would be communicated to us. God, that you would meet us where we are and we pray Lord God, as we even start the book of Amos this morning, that you would grow us as a people of righteousness and justice that we would exemplify these traits that are yours. They are attributes of our great God. That you would work these things into us, that they might be expressed from us to the glory of your name. Amen. All right, you can go ahead and have a seat. I am excited to start the book of Amos. Amos is a book that I would say for years I've been wanting to teach. And as elders, as we try to to add some variety, we go New Testament, Old Testament, epistles, gospels, psalms, poetry, and now our endeavor into minor prophets. Amos is one that I've been tossing out for a while, and God in his perfect timing has now allowed this to be the time that we are going to study this book together. In in reading it, I would encourage you even just to take it and uh, read from start to finish. It's nine chapters. It takes maybe 40 minutes to read from start to finish. And as you read it, you'll realize, wow, this is what we need right now. This is the the message that we need as a church and that needs to be expressed through us because there are things that we see so confused, so distorted, so lost and corrupted in this world right now. Justice. Justice is, is, is a word that we hear Regularly at this point. We see it on signs. Even the other day, I was in the the drive-up teller line at the bank, and they're looking into the to the window of uh, a housing unit. There was a sign written, said, No justice, no peace. And I think, yeah, that's true. If there is no justice, there there will be no peace. But then we see these expressions these attempts at expressing justice and they're not just, they're unjust. And so this really starts with, with us knowing and understanding what is righteousness? What is justice and how is this to be lived out in our lives How can we better engage the world that we live in? How can we better communicate these these great truths and these these dire needs in the world we live in? And I believe that as we work through these nine chapters of Amos, if we really give ourselves to the study of this book, our hearts are going to be examined. Our actions are going to be examined. And we have opportunity as we work through this together as a church to grow immensely. In the time that I've spent in Amos so far getting ready to preach this morning, it's been a challenge. I've been challenged by this book. And I know as we continue to work through, there's going to be more and more. There are going to be layers that are peeled away and I'm looking forward to that because I know that God works as a, as a refining fire. And so even as the heat gets turned up, there are going to be things that are exposed. And I pray, God, burn those things away, which do not reflect you, which harden me, which turn me away from you, which cause me to, to think and to act in ways that are inconsistent with you. Amos, Amos was the first of the writing prophets. So there were prophets back in in the Old Testament that would come with a message. He was the first one to start writing these words of prophecy. Amos, one thing I like about him, he was an everyday guy. He tells us in, in chapter one, verse one, that he was among the shepherds of Tekoa. He was not professionally trained as a prophet. It's not how he made his living. That wasn't his career. In chapter seven, verse 14, as he's talking to Amaziah, the priest, he tells Amaziah that he is a herdsman and a dresser of sycamore figs. So he's a, he's a farmer. He keeps sheep, he grows trees, he tends them and gets figs from them. He's a a tri-vocational prophet, if you will. That is this man, Amos, and he speaks with, with such clarity. He understands God so well. This shepherd, prophet, dresser of sycamore figs. Now he was from the region of Tekoa. So we're going to learn a little bit of geography this morning. Tekoa was in Judah. So if you can picture in your mind, or you can turn into the maps in the back of your Bible, and you see the land of Israel, and the kingdom of Israel has now split into two. And there is Judah in the south, and Israel in the north. Tekoa was down there in the southern kingdom of Judah. Now, that's something about the man, Amos, the man Amos. But Amos was sent into a mess. And I want to look at the mess that Amos was sent into. And part of that is that the kingdom has divided. If you remember, David had a son. His son's name was Solomon and Solomon reigned over Israel. And then Solomon had a son whose name was Rehoboam. And during the reign of Rehoboam, Israel broke into two. Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Now, Rehoboam, he continued to reign over that southern kingdom, reigning over Judah. And a man named Jeroboam was appointed as king for Israel in the north. Now, Jeroboam, as king, with this recent split of the nation, was afraid that if his people are going to the Southern kingdom to worship, because that's where Jerusalem was, that was God's designated place of worship. If they're always going down to Jerusalem, I might lose their loyalty. They might not want to come back or they might come back and they might try to overthrow me. So rather than having the people go down to Jerusalem to worship God, Jeroboam had this grand idea a terrible idea. Let's make two golden calves. That's what Jeroboam did. Let's make two golden calves and tell the people, these are the gods that brought you out of Egypt. And so he did. And he put one in Bethel in the land of Israel. And he put another one up in Dan, also in the land of Israel. So the people uh, of the Northern kingdom of Israel, they had a convenient place to worship. How great, except they were worshiping these golden calves. And, and once you start down that road of idolatry, of worshiping false gods, that then opened them up to all kinds of idolatry. We're gonna, we're gonna worship the Asherah. We're going to worship Baal. And so they started taking all of these false gods into their worship. Now you can't worship those false gods without having your daily life impacted by it. If you're an idol worshiper, you become like that object of your worship. And so as they then were worshiping these golden calves, they were worshiping Baal, they were worshiping Asherah, they were going to the the orchard groves for worship. Their acts, the things that they did also became very corrupt. They were no longer serving a God who was righteous and a God who is just. And so their objects of worship gravely affected their standards of righteousness, their deeds of justice. So they began abusing the people around them, oppressing the poor to their own advantage. And that's what's going on in Israel during the time of Amos's writing. They are oppressing the poor. They are taking advantage of the weak. Now, Jeroboam, he's long gone, but Jeroboam II is now king of Israel in the time of, his, uh, of, of Amos. And he is just leading them into further corruption. Now, if you know something of the the history of Israel, Assyria was a nation that seemed always to be pressing in and oppressing Israel. Assyria was always a threat. Well, now during this time with Jeroboam II, Assyria has backed off. As a result, Jeroboam the is able to expand the borders of Israel and they are benefiting. They are in a time of prosperity. They're claiming more land for themselves. Trade is good. Business is great. The economy is strong. We read in the book of Amos, as Amos gives descriptions of what life is like in the time of his ministry. The Israelites have summer homes and winter homes. The people of Israel have these great homes that are adorned with ivory. They've planted vineyards and they drink wine by the bowlful. Not just sipping a glass. No, we have wine in abundance. They anoint themselves with the finest of oils. They weren't shopping for budget deals. No, let's find the most expensive. Let's find the finest oils and ointments. They were eating the finest of meats all the while maintaining this air of religion. We come together, we sing, we offer sacrifices, and look at how much we're prospering. God has blessed us. He must be really happy with us. No, it was dead ritual that they were going through. It was repulsive to God. They thought that all of this abundance all of this prosperity must be an indication that God loves us, that God has blessed us, that He is taking care of us in this time. But no, that was not the case. Yes, they were experiencing a season of prosperity, but they were wicked. They believed that this prosperity is God's favor on them, when really, They're headed for destruction in a matter of 30 to 40 years. Even though Assyria at this time has backed off, has slowed down, has taken the pressure off of Israel in about 30 or 40 years in 722 BC, Assyria is going to come and they are going to destroy the nation of Israel. And they're going to take them off into captivity. Correction by God was coming. So that's something of the mess of Israel during this time. And Amos comes with a message. This is what the people need to hear during this time. It's a message of correction to the people of Israel rather than continue in your ways turn to righteousness and to justice. Those are the two things that as we work through the book of Amos that I hope we really get a grasp of righteousness and justice. Those are key themes in the book of Amos. Now that's not all of the book of Amos, But so much of what Amos says, so much of God's word to the people of Israel through this prophet Amos, so much of it is about righteousness and justice. Amos chapter 5, as an example, verses 6 and 7 He says, seek the Lord and live. This is spoken to the people of Israel, lest he break out like fire in the house of Joseph and it devour with none to quench it for Bethel. O you who turn justice to wormwood and cast down righteousness to the earth. Justice, which should be sweetness, was turned to wormwood bitterness and rather than upholding righteousness, they are casting it down to the earth as something worthless. Later in that same chapter in verse 24, Amos says, let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever flowing stream. That's what's needed In the nation of Israel, justice and righteousness, that's what's needed in our land today as well. Amos chapter 6 and verse 12, you have turned justice into poison and the fruit of righteousness into wormwood. Justice and righteousness is what he is calling the people of Israel to. Now, just a a quick definition. Maybe help us get get a, a bit of an understanding of righteousness and justice. Righteousness is having a correct standard of behavior. Having a right understanding of what is right and what is wrong. That's righteousness. This is the standard. This is that which we use to measure what is right, what is wrong, what is correct, what is in error. And then justice is how that standard of behavior is lived out. Justice is the expression of righteousness in our treatment toward fellow image bearers. Righteousness is the standard. It's the understanding and justice is the expression of that. This is how we show righteousness through deeds of justice. There's no substitute for righteousness and justice. The people of Israel thought we can just go through the religious rituals. We can sing songs. We can offer sacrifices No, God says those things are repulsive to me. Amos uses strong words to tell what God's opinion of those empty rituals are. There are no substitutes for justice and for righteousness. I asked Eric if I could use his guitar this morning, maybe help illustrate this a little bit. This might be really corny or it might work. So bear with me. It might be both. All right. Righteousness and justice. If you think of two hands that play a guitar, two hands are needed in order to to make music on a guitar, at least for me. We're going to look at one as righteousness, the other as justice. All right. Righteousness is going to form the chords. Righteousness is going to hold down the strings at the different frets. It's going to, to know where to place pressure. It's going to know what is right, where those strings need to be, where those fingers need to be at the different frets. But if we only do this, can you hear that music? I've, I'm forming the chords. Chords. Can you hear it? No. There's no music. But then there's justice. Justice is, is that hand that's strumming. We need to be able to strum the guitar to get the sound out of it. So if we take righteousness all on its own, is that any good? Having a, a right Understanding of right and wrong, having this great standard. I mean, look at how well I'm forming these chords. I'm even putting the F sharp bass on, on my D chord. Impressive, huh? No, you can't hear it. It doesn't, doesn't matter. Without justice, righteousness is mute. But then let's take justice. Justice is the expression of righteousness. If we take this other hand and begin strumming, is that beautiful music? Do you hear it? There are no chords being formed. can maybe strum some erratic patterns. I can play up here. I can play back here. Doesn't do any good. It's noise. But when you put the two of them together, when righteousness and justice come together, the the forming of what is correct and and it finds expression in justice, then you begin making music and you begin to understand, wow, this is beautiful. We're able to glorify God. Glorify the Lord with me, let us exalt his name together, glorify the Lord with me let us exalt his name forever would you glorify the lord with me glorify the lord with me let us exalt his name together glorify the lord with me let us exalt his name forever. When those two come together, there's music. It's beautiful. It's something by which we can glorify the Lord. When righteousness and justice When righteousness and justice come together, it's an expression of, of God. It's an expression that, that people hear, that people see, that people take notice of. It brings about change. It brings about good. And this is Amos's message, righteousness and justice. It is unashamedly theological. And I love that about Amos. He gives us this great picture of God. And it is also intensely practical as good theology always is intensely practical. It's not full of abstract concepts or ideas about God, but no, this reveals God's words and reveals God's ways with this purifying clarity, like taking Baking soda and vinegar and putting them together. It's purifying. Scrub that shower with those things and ah, yes, clean. It's intensely practical and unashamedly theological. Now this morning, we are going to look at Chapter 1, verse 1, through chapter 2, verse 5. Really, chapters 1 and 2 go together. And in those two chapters, all the way through chapter 2, verse 16, you have the judgment of the nations. The judgment of the nations. And the section we're looking at this morning, Amos speaks to seven nations. Seven nations that were all around the people of Israel. And I have to imagine as the people of Israel are hearing all of these judgments spoken against these other nations, the people of Israel are starting to feel pretty good about themselves. Yeah. Lay it on them, Lord judge them, God. Look at how good we are. Look at how rotten they are. But what we're going to see next week in chapter two, starting in verse six, is that God was just building up to the message he had to speak to the nation of Israel. This is like, I don't know if you've ever tried this, a great tactic in a snowball fight, take a snowball in each hand and you lob one into the air. And when your opponent and watching that, the one in your right hand, you just nail them with. All right. And that's a little bit what Amos is doing here. He's tossing this one up and the people of Israel are saying, yeah, yeah, destroy them, God, send fire down upon them. Meanwhile, he's loading up with a message directly for Israel. It's three times longer than any message he has for any of these other nations. And then from then on, everything he speaks is toward the nation of Israel. So much of justice and righteousness has to do with our interactions toward others And in what we're looking at this morning, we see expressions of this. We see the use and abuse of people for selfish gain. As we work through Amos, we're going to be challenged with how we view other people, with how we treat other people, with how we interact with other people. And we see these other nations Dealing with those around them in a way that uses and abuses them for their own gain. We're going to see that they saw some people as obstacles. They see some people as mere resources. They see some as just an irritation. And they see some as trophies. We can conquer them and show just how strong we are. If you look with me to verse two, these are the words of the Lord through the prophet Amos. The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastures of the shepherds mourn. And the top of Carmel withers. This is a strong voice. This is the roar of a lion that causes the top of a mountain to wither. And it causes the meadows, the pastures to mourn. That is how strong God's voice is. And this is what he says. First of all, speaking to Damascus in verses three through five, we see these patterns repeated for every one of these nations. For three transgressions of Damascus and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. God is saying, you have done wrong. Three transgressions and, and for four. However we are to understand that, does that mean four God was okay with three, but now the fourth and that's it. Is it, is it seven, three plus four? We really don't know, but we know that God knows the transgressions of these people. He has been merciful up to a point, but now he's saying, I will not revoke the punishment. I am going to lay out punishment upon them. I am not going to draw it back. The reason Damascus is being judged, that is the people of Syria, Damascus being the capital city, we see at the end of verse three, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Say that 10 times fast, threshing sledges. They've mistreated the people of Gilead. Gilead, now that is where two and a half tribes of the people of Israel dwelt. Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, right? They were in the land of Gilead. And Damascus, that is Syria, they had come in and they had conquered them and they had made these people their trophies. They threshed them with threshing sledges, Now, what does that mean? What is that? If you're familiar with the Bible, then you may have understood the the threshing floor, right? You gather in all of your harvest, all of your wheat, and then you have to thresh it. You have to beat it down so that the the grain is separated from the rest of these stalks, from these sheaves that you've brought in. And there were various ways to do that. And and one of the most effective ways was with a threshing sledge. We might say a sled. Think of a, a wooden sled that would be pulled by oxen and you would take all of these sheaves and you would stack them up and then you would start running oxen over them carrying this sled. And this sled, as it would run over them, it would begin to break them up. And then, you know, you you take that and you begin to toss it into the air with your winnowing fork, like a pitchfork, and the wind would blow the chaff away and the grain would fall down. Now, if you wanted a really intense way of threshing, well, you didn't just walk on the grain. You didn't just have a sled of wood. No, you had a sled with iron are there iron runners on the bottom of it or spikes that were on the bottom that would tear it to pieces, heavy and effective. And that's the picture that God uses as he speaks to the people of Syria, the people of Damascus, They didn't just go in and beat Reuben and Gad and half of Manasseh in battle. No, they saw them as objects by which they could show their might and their superiority. It wasn't enough to just beat them. They threshed them with threshing sledges of iron. They ground them to pieces. They broke them. That's the picture that Amos uses. Victory wasn't enough. We want to destroy them. That's one of the ways that that people interact sometimes. Maybe you're guilty of this. Have you ever looked at people as trophies to be conquered? You want to show just how capable you are intellectually. Or maybe you want to show your physical superiority. So I'm not just going to beat you in this game, but I'm going to hurt you or I'm going to humiliate you in this. Maybe even you want to show how much more spiritually mature you are. So you start quoting obscure texts of the Bible to show I'm so much more spiritually mature mature than you. You get entangled, you win the challenge, but that's not enough. I want to grind them to powder. We're called to use our strengths to help those who are weaker, to come alongside those who are in need of help and to hold them up to serve them, to assist them. But one of the ways that gets turned around, one of the ways that this is done unjustly is, no, I'm going to beat them and I want to destroy them. You look at people like trophies. I tore him to shreds. Physically, intellectually, I would say even there are times when we could try to do this spiritually which is really just a reflection of our own spiritual immaturity. But we might think we're looking really good in the process. Well, the next judgment comes to Gaza and to Tyre. And we're going to look at these two together because I think for both of them, they were looking at people as resources, There's something similar for both of them. If you look at verse six, three transgressions of Gaza and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because here it is, they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. And in verse nine, Tyre, why? Because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. Gaza, that is one of the chief cities of Philistia, the Philistines. And Tyre, they were using people as resources. They carried into exile, delivering them to Edom. What is this? They were going in and taking people and selling them into slavery, handing them over to Edom. Edom would make the purchase. It was in Edom that they can conduct these transactions. So we're going to go in, we're going to find innocent people. We're going to take them away and we're going to sell them as slaves not prisoners of war, but in a time of relative peace, marching in, taking these innocent people captive and selling them as slaves for personal profit. Our wealth is increasing, but it's at the expense of another's life. These were people that were being used that were being taken advantage of for their own selfish purposes and ends. That can take a variety of forms. It can look different ways, but have the same objective. Maybe like Gaza and Tyre, this is just outright abuse of others to your own benefit. Like stealing something from someone. I'm going to steal from them so I can profit or blackmail, outright abuse. But you can also do this in other ways, maybe pretending to befriend them, treat them well, only because there's something they have that you want to get from them. Maybe they're popular and you want to be popular. So you become their friend so you can grow in popularity. Maybe they have something that you want and you know that they're getting rid of it. So I'm going to become their friend in hopes that when they get rid of it, they'll, they'll give it to me, but you're not really a friend to them. You're just looking at people as resources. How can I profit from this person? Not what do I have to give to them to benefit them, but asking that question, what's in this for me? How can this be worked to my advantage? And that is what Gaza and Tyre were doing. Next, if you look at uh, verses 11 and 12 with me, Here we see Edom for three transgressions of Edom. And for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually. And he kept his wrath forever. This is seeing people as irritations. These people are just a bother. Edom had this intense grudge against others. Now, Edom, Edom came from Esau. And even in Deuteronomy chapter 23, God gives the instruction to the Israelites, you shall not abhor an Edomite for he is your brother. Jacob and Esau, And from Esau came the Edomites, from Jacob came the nation of Israel. And if you look with me again here in verse 11, it says, he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity. I think it's very likely that that was Israel that Edom was pursuing. That Edom was so bitter toward that Edom had this intense grudge against They harbored and they nurtured these emotions. Rather than controlling them, they became controlled. I've just got to get rid of them. These people that caused me such irritation. Cast off all pity, anger that tore perpetually. He kept his wrath forever. In Proverbs chapter 16 Verse 32 says, whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. And he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Hebrews 12 verse 15, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. This root of bitterness had not only been planted in Edom, it was fruitful in the worst of ways. We see the same in chapter 2, verses 1 through 3 for Moab for three transgressions of Moab and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Why? Because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. We despise them so much. These people of Edom that we're going to gather up the bones of their king. The object of their national pride and we are going to burn them with such intense heat that they become like lime, powder, chalk. This was a disgraceful act. This man was already dead. This would be like the king being the symbol of national pride and burning his bones, like unceremoniously burning the American flag. This is how much we we despise these people. We're going to let them know what we think about them. This great contempt toward Edom by burning the bones of their king. This is seeing people just as irritations. Rather than those we're called to love and to serve even when we don't get along with them, even when they do things that that bother us, that we find ways to show compassion, to serve and, and to love. But no, here, irritations. We want to do away with them. Now we skipped over verses 13 through 15, the Ammonites, because they fall into a different category. The Ammonites, well, they saw people as obstacles. Verse 13 tells us the horrendous act they committed. They have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. Gilead, again, remember Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh? That land is land that the Ammonites wanted. They didn't go to war. No, they went in, and they found the women, and it says they ripped open pregnant women in Gilead. They committed the most heinous, of acts directing their attack against pregnant women. People are obstacles. These pregnant women, even they're standing in our way of getting what we want. Even the yet unborn. So we're going to work to just remove these obstacles, inconveniences. I don't know if, It does for you, certainly does for me, make me think about our treatment of the the unborn in our nation. As obstacles, we have modern methods, sterilized, sanitized in clinical settings, performed under the guise of healthcare. The times and the methods may have changed, but the end result is the same. Often the motives are the same obstacles. And lastly, verses four and five, we see these words directed to Judah. Remember, Amos is a book that is written to the people of Israel. Judah was a close neighbor. Yes, Judah was a relation. But Judah in the book of Amos is considered like the other nations. For three transgressions of Judah and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Why? Because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. Six foreign nations around Israel have received judgment. And if you look at it on a map, it's even interesting how it kind of crisscrosses across the nation of Israel, making all of these nations that are around Israel and now Judah, the one closest. Judah is judged by a different standard. Nowhere in these other six nations does God say, you have done this against my word. No, these people did not have God's word. They were still responsible. They still knew God's moral law. It was on their hearts. They knew this by by general revelation But the nation of Judah knew the specifics of what God commanded and what God required, and they rejected it. They have not kept his statutes. Righteousness for Judah should have been established in their hearts and in their minds, justice should have flowed out in their words and in their actions but they had left off God's word and instead they had gone after lies. I think that's probably a reference to false gods, to idols that Judah and Israel were both serving. Those after which their fathers walked. Instead of believing what was right and what was true about God from God's word, they believed lies wherever those came from. If they came from false gods, if they came from false teachings, if they came from their own minds, these untrue things about God and God's words and God's ways and God's acts, God's righteousness and his justice, they had departed and they're held to a higher standard because they had God's word for all of these nations, all seven of these nations, God says, I will send fire. I will kindle a fire and it's going to devour their strongholds. Those things that they cling to those things that they find rescue in, or they think they can find rescue in those things are going to crumble Those things are going to be taken away. Those things will not be able to save them in the day of God's judgment. He is going to send a fire upon these people and upon these places. Rather than using things to serve people, they were using people for selfish gain, for convenience, for comfort, to establish them even more in their own pride. Church, we have a standard of righteousness that's been established. We have a standard which finds expression in deeds of justice. And that standard will always prioritize people. People made in God's image Instead of our selfish gain, our convenience, our comfort, our pride, we have a standard of righteousness, understand me, that is even fuller, even higher than what Judah had. We see the perfect righteousness of Christ, the son of righteousness. Even as we just finished working through the gospel of Mark and we see his service, Mark chapter 10, verse 45, even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus lived the perfect standard of righteousness. He fulfilled all righteousness and he has called us and he has saved us. And it is that standard of righteousness that we also are called to and that we get to express in deeds of justice and by the Holy Spirit at work within us, though we are not perfect, we can express God's righteousness. We can show deeds of justice empowered by the spirit of God. So let's hold to righteousness. Let's Live out justice. Let's see these two hands of righteousness and justice working together in our lives. And as we work through the book of Amos together, let's see how we're challenged, how we grow in our understanding, not just of these ideas, but the application of them. That people would see our good works, like Jesus says in Matthew 5, and glorify our father in heaven. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word that we have this standard, which is perfect. We fail, we fall short, we sin. We are grateful for Jesus who came and lived, fulfilled all righteousness and died in our place so that though we falter, Though we fail, though we sin, we can be forgiven. And Father, I do pray that we would walk in that forgiveness and that we would walk in your grace and that would be a grace that empowers us to service of those around us, those that might be obstacles, those that might be irritations, but that we would look at them through different lens, with different eyes, that we would see those around us as eternal souls who are in need of a savior, those that we can serve, those that we can express the righteousness and the justice of God to, whether those be believers or unbelievers. God, may we live out your word, work these things in us that they might find expression through us, we pray. For your glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Pillar Bible Fellowship. Please email any comments or questions about the sermon to feedback at pillarhoodriver.org.